in a word, what I want to share with you could be named this kind of wisdom. The statement itself tells us that there's more than one kind, doesn't it? This kind of wisdom. What I'm going to read to you is not unfamiliar to you, but let's see if God doesn't open it up to us tonight. But no one can tame the tongue. This is James 3. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter waters? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. His point is to say, you cannot always be letting salt, the salt water of bitterness, of faithlessness, of unkindness. You cannot always be letting that salt water pour out of your mouth and then expect an immediate shift to fresh water when you want to praise God. Who among you is wise and understanding? So he asks a question, he says, who among you is wise? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds done in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This kind of wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? But you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose he jealously desires his spirit which he has made to dwell inside of us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. And then he continues his thought because he never lost it. And he says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver, and he goes on. So he starts off by saying, you're speaking against each other, and he ends by saying, don't speak against each other. And everything in between is tied to that one thought of a certain kind of criticism 
a certain kind of judgmentalism, amen, that causes you to cease being a doer and instead start being a judger, amen? And in the middle of this, he says, but this kind of wisdom, this wisdom is not from above, it is from below, amen. Thank you, Jesus, amen. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This kind of wisdom, what kind of wisdom? If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This kind of wisdom, what kind of wisdom? Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Have you ever thought that jealousy was a wisdom? Have you ever thought that bitterness was a wisdom? Have you ever thought that selfish ambition was a wisdom? That's what he's saying. Have you ever thought that arrogance is a wisdom? He's telling us that jealousy and bitterness and arrogance, they are a brand of wisdom. Now we know that there is a different kind of wisdom, right? We know that there is the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of Christ. Paul said that the world in its wisdom did not come to know God. So the kind of wisdom that is from God leads us into a relationship with God, doesn't it? We've read in this recent book that the wisdom of God Wisdom builds the house. So wisdom puts things together. But there's a different kind of wisdom. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, and arrogance. They are a kind of wisdom. And if the wisdom of God builds the house, then the other kind of wisdom tears the house apart. If the wisdom of God, as we've read in the book, is a tree of life, then the other kind of wisdom cuts that tree down and makes it a dead tree, a tree of death. I want you to tell me, how could bitterness, how could bitter jealousy be a wisdom? He said it produces competitive strategy. Anybody agree with that? Amen. Jealousy is a brand of wisdom. And it causes you to see things in a certain way, doesn't it? It causes you to see everybody as a competitor. And that insight, that perspective of competition, in turn, releases stratagems and plans, perceptions, insights. Amen. Did the Pharisees not have this kind of wisdom? Were there not times when they heard the Lord speak and they perceived that he was speaking to them? But was it the kind of perception that said, oh God, we've got to change? Well, was are the kind of perception that said, oh God, we got to stop this man. Isn't that what they said after he raised Lazarus from the dead? This man must be stopped. He is going to take away everything, our, our nation and our authority. And did they not begin to strategize as to how they would bring it down? See, that competitive kind of wisdom, it's smart. It sees things other people didn't see. It walks away from the same conversation and it hears something nobody else heard. Did you hear what he said? He said this and that. Really? Did he really say that? Oh my, I guess I, I must have just been blind. No, you may not have just been blind. 
You may not have been deaf. You may have had a different kind of wisdom. You may have had the kind of wisdom that builds the house. And he might have the the wisdom that tears the house apart. Perception is a dangerous thing. Insight, dangerous thing. And there's a kind of wisdom that turns the lights on. Oh, I never saw that. There's a kind of wisdom that hears Jesus say, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it back. And they go, oh my goodness, he's actually planning to tear down the temple. This guy's got to be stopped. And there's another kind of wisdom that says, oh man, he's saying that he's going to die for our sins. That he loves us so much he's going to be willing to die. But three days later he's going to be resurrected. Do you see the two different kinds of wisdom at work? Amen. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, he calls it bitter jealousy, indicating that it's a kind of jealousy that is born out of bitterness. Can you think of any, any examples in the Bible of jealousy born out of bitterness? Hmm? Was Cain jealous before Abel was successful? Any others? What about David and Saul? Was Saul, did he have this bitter jealousy before David was successful? No. Amen. You see, if everybody was equally miserable, there would be no bitter jealousy. There would just be bitterness. But bitter jealousy is what happens when somebody, when you are terribly miserable and somebody else seems to be enjoying something you don't have. And then all the stratagems of accusation begin to come alive. The very word Satan, what does it mean? It means Satan, it means accuser of the brethren. Day and night, he's hurling accusations. And what is he? Is he not the most intelligent being on earth in the, in the, in the universe? Hmm? Aside from God, does the Bible not tell us that he is, is superior to all the rest? Amen. But how... Does he use all that cunning now? Something happened, didn't it? There was a turning point in his existence. What was that turning point? It was competition. Something shifted in his heart. And he said, I would be like the Most High. It was not enough for him to be content with his place. Amen? Just like the turning point in Korah's life, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Remember, well, they had some insights too. They came to Moses. They said, are you better than the rest of us? It's like the lights had gone on. Oh my goodness. We've been submitting to this guy and he's not perfect. He's actually human. Are you better than the rest of us? Is not the whole congregation holy? Didn't they ask him that? What's happened here? They have adopted a certain kind of wisdom. And let me tell you something. When you start moving in that wisdom, it's got its own thrill attached to it. You start seeing things you never saw before. You start saying, wait a minute, Aaron. Miriam says, why does Moses think he's better than us? We're both his older siblings. I watched him in the river. You were born before he was. He can't even speak. What's going on here? A certain kind of wisdom is settling in. And boy, once it comes, it's so hard to get rid of. The whole world is seen in a different light. The dim light of suspicion, 
and distrust. But it's a kind of wisdom. Amen. Amen. It makes you see things you didn't see before. This wisdom is not that which comes from above. I love the, the straightforwardness of the Word of God. So simple. The wisdom doesn't come down to us from above. Amen? But it is from below. It always has the underdog position. It's always looking up at God saying, why, does things, why do things have to be like that? This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly. It comes from below. That's what the earth represents. Heavens represent the above. The gifts, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows, amen? But then there's something else that comes from below, from the material, amen, from the earthly. It's earthly, sensual, and devilish. Earthly means that it's always going to be looking up. It's coming from below. It's always going to be looking up, accusing that which is over it. It's sensual. What does that mean? We tend to limit that word, but literally sensual means that which is derived by sensation. Amen? It is based on what I see, on what I hear. It does not humble itself in the awareness that there are understandings and worlds beyond my sensations to perceive. Amen? And that I cannot walk by sight, I have to walk by faith. Amen? It doesn't believe that. It begins to believe that, what did the song say? It begins to believe that my thoughts are God's thoughts, my ways are God's ways, and the only thing to be trusted in the world is my heart, because it's the only thing that can't be deceived. It's less deceitful than all things, and I can know it, because I alone try my own intentions and motives and heart. And if I feel it, then it's so. If I see it, then it's so. If I hear it, then it's so. If I taste it and smell it, then it's so. This is what he means when he says this kind of wisdom is sensual. And those that are of the world say, yeah, what other kind of wisdom is there? <laughs> Empirical first-hand encounter. Hmm. That's the only way to know anything, isn't it? Yes, but how do you know that the knower isn't somehow flawed in his interpretation of what he's perceiving, of what he's encountering. Amen. The other kind of wisdom says, truth comes to me by revelation. Amen. It is something that God discloses, that he pulls the curtain back. And all of a sudden, I see something that I can only know through the eyes of faith. I do not walk by sight. That would be sense, trusting only on my senses. Amen. I walk by faith. Amen. I need to hear God speak to me. And then I will know his will. Then I will know his plan. Then I will begin to know his wisdom. Thank you, Jesus. It is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Or as this one says, as your translation says, devilish. So I've told you why it's called earthly. It's because it comes from beneath. It does not accept insight and revelation as something that comes down from the Father. But rather, it is, it is arrived at through our own efforts. And it's finally, it's sensual. It, it, it's discerned only through our senses. Not to say that our senses aren't involved in everything, amen? 
But we don't walk by sight, do we? We walk by faith. And finally, it's devilish or demonic, depending on your translation. Why do you think he calls it demonic or devilish? Because it was pioneered by the devil. It is the kind of wisdom that looks from beneath and accuses upward. Amen? This more cunning than all the creatures. That's what Satan was called. This more cunning than all the creatures. More beautiful than anything. This morning star. It began with him when he said, I would be like the Most High. Amen. The devil's kind of light, it can be most blinding. Bob Dylan said, amen. That kind of illumination, that kind of insight, that kind of revelation, it can be the most blinding. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It is earthly, it is sensual, and it is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder. Jealousy and selfish ambition attack order. Jealousy and selfish ambition are the acid that eats through the order of God. Amen? Where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil thing. Amen. This perspective, this dynamic is the breeding ground for all subsidiary sins. All the sins of the world begin with competition. The inability to look at your brother, at your father, as your friend as someone to be trusted. The inability to see yourself as his cooperator and instead to begin to see yourself as his competitor. That is the starting point for all sin. Thank you, Jesus. Are you with me? Amen. So where these things exist, there is disorder. Why is there disorder? Because I can't submit to this brother or to that brother because I'm competing against them. And because I'm competing against them, I have the devil's kind of light that can be most blinding and I see nothing but problems when they walk up. Amen. I become their judge. I become a judge of the law instead of a doer of the law. I become a judge of the word instead of a doer of the word. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Now, this order of God, that competition and jealousy destroys, what is it based on? Is it based on the perfection of all the people? Involved? Was, was Abel perfect? Was David perfect? Who in the Bible was perfect? Only one, right? Amen. He was the only one who was without sin. He was the only one who had no deceit in his motives, in his heart. He was the only one who was really perfect. So does that mean that there can be no order amongst us? That there can be no submission amongst us? Hmm? Does that mean that the house cannot be built? That the pieces cannot be ordered? What is the difference between a pile of bricks and a house? The materials may be thrown in a heap on the ground, but they are not a house 
until they are ordered according to a given set of relationships. Until the brick comes together with the other brick and the beams with the other beams in a certain pattern and order of relationship. Amen? What is the difference between a group of people and the body of Christ? The order of relationships that tells them how to relate one with the other. Amen? So wisdom builds the house. The wisdom of life brings it together. And it is the order of God bringing things together. It does not say that each piece in and of itself is anything. But it says when all the pieces find their proper place in the design of God, then wisdom has built the house. And the house is the temple of God, is it not? We all as lively stones are being built together to form a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Is that not what Paul said? Peter, I'm sorry. First Peter 2, amen? Amen. That's wisdom. Amen. But jealousy and competition are a different kind of wisdom. They are a wisdom. And they make you see things about your brothers. And some of the things you see may be true in, in some limited, distorted sense. Amen. But truth, in order to be understood, the piece of truth has to be situated in the greater context of truth. The particular, as we heard last night, has to be seen in the context of the universal. Amen? So is, it may be true that Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it back. But is it true what the Pharisees told Pilate Jesus was guilty of? Even though they quoted him exactly? Their quote may have been accurate, but their claim was a lie because they destroyed the context and therefore the meaning in which that quote was given. Are you with me? Wisdom builds the house. And that, that wisdom is the order of God. It, it shows us how we come together. Amen. But this other kind of wisdom tears it all apart and renders everything meaningless. Amen. Amen. You say, but my brother had it wrong here and there. Well, he's not perfect. Unlike Jesus, he's not perfect, like we heard last night. None of us are perfect. No matter how much effort we put into it, no matter how much prayer, we thank God for his anointing, but James in this same book says, that we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. He didn't say a few stumble. He said we all stumble in many ways. So does that stumbling negate his apostleship? Hmm? Does that stumbling mean that he's rejected by God? Does it? Amen. No, because it's not seen. He's not looked at apart from his submission to the whole. Amen. And we say, well, if it were just about James and me, this might be a real problem. But you know, James, I know your life is hid with God in Christ. I know you're a lively stone and I'm a lively stone and we're all trying to bear our responsibilities and we're all trying to submit to the will of God. And I trust the God who is the builder, amen, the architect of this house, who is the builder and maker, amen, of this house. And I know you're doing your best and I'm doing my best. And if there is a problem, brother, I'm gonna bring it in the meekness of wisdom. Why can wisdom be meek? Because it's not in the fight for its own sake. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. I can be gentle about a problem because it's not about me. Amen. 
I know this is God's house. And it's not my kingdom that I'm trying to preserve. Amen. It's not my will that I'm trying to assert. It's simply God's. And so I can be meek. I can be gentle. I can be at peace in my spirit. Because I know unless the Lord builds the house, I labor in vain who build it. Amen? But the other kind of wisdom isn't meek. It's not gentle. It's panicked. It's fearful. Or it's aggressive. Amen. It does not have that peace. It says, God, everything is in your hands. My life is in your hands. Those under my care are in your hands. Those over me are in your hands. My future is in your hands. My past, God, I trust you. I'm not holding this thing together. I can't hold this thing together. But God, the builder and maker of this house is Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I don't feel all pinched up and bent out of shape because I can't see this. I can't. There's a certain trust, isn't there? Hallelujah. I can't know everything there is to know about each one of you. I can't even know a fraction of what there is to know. I can't know everything there is to know about truth. So I have to trust, don't I? I have to come to some place where I say, God, I have to trust something outside myself. I can deceive myself and imagine that I can know it all, but what a lie that would be. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Then I would become a judge of the law, wouldn't I? Instead of a doer of the law. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Can you think of any examples in the Bible where things went wrong, even among people in places of leadership, but the order of the house was preserved? Because the people were submitted each to their place, and the Lord was watching over his word to perform it. Can you think of any examples? Amen. Yes? Eli and his sons? Amen. That was an example where the man who was uh, the overseer was failing God. But even that, the Lord provided for it, didn't he? Amen. He removed him. Because the heart of the ruler is in the hands of those under him, right? What does the Bible tell us? The heart of the ruler is in the hands of God. Doesn't it tell us that? Amen. And the Lord took care of that, didn't he? Eli and his sons. Any other examples? What? I beg your pardon? Esther. Esther. Amen. She was able to honor a system that wasn't of God. But what about a system that is of God? What about an order that is given by God? Judas. How would you explain that? How would... How, how does that look? Well, he, was, he was ordained to be an apostle. He was part of the whole word of God there. And he That's it. Oh, thank you. Here this man is one of the 12 apostles. And he makes not just a mistake, he becomes the son of perdition. He utterly fails God and becomes the great betrayer. So does this mean Jesus had it all wrong? Does this mean that the 12 apostles are rejected by God? Hmm? Does this mean the church is hopeless? Does it? No, it doesn't. Amen. It means another shall take his place. It means the order is given from God and the plan is from God and the builder and maker is God and it's going to advance. And a piece here may break, and a piece there may crack. And they may be healed or they may be replaced. But this kingdom shall endure forever and ever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We could look at Saul, couldn't we? The same thing. He was rejected by God. Was God's plan for Israel over? Did it give David the right to go in? David was anointed to be the next king. Did it give him the right to go in and kill the past king, the former king, the king who was sinning and rejected by God? Did it give him the right to dishonor him, to imprison him? No. 
because that would have been the dynamic that is earthly, sensual, and devilish. That would have been the wrong kind of wisdom taking over, wouldn't it? Hallelujah. Amen. And boy, it almost got David, you know that? It almost got him. There were times where he just barely escaped its grasp because it's a temptation for all of us. You remember when David sends to the house of a very wealthy man because his men are in need of provision? He sends to the house of Nabal and he says, give my men provision. He sent them in the name of David. And Nabal says, who is David? If I give you provision, then I'm going to teach every master, every slave to leave their master. And what happens? David gets full of anger. And that competitive wisdom starts seizing him. And he's going down, he's going to destroy all those people. Amen. And so what happened? A young lady comes out and says, you are full of pride. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Look at you. About to murder a bunch of innocent people. Is that what the young lady said? No, if the young lady had done that, then she would have been guilty of the very thing he was being guilty of. But she came in the meekness of wisdom, did she not? And she said, my Lord, the King, we know that God has called you. But I would not have this guilt on the conscience of my Lord when he comes into his kingdom. This is love. This is cooperation. This is born out of genuine care. And she's able to correct the misbehavior of God's anointed. She's able to be the Lord's tool to do so in the most graceful, humble, kind way. Reminiscent of what would happen with Naaman's servant, right? Same exact thing. Chock full of pride. and He said, if, if the Lord had asked you to do a great thing, she says, would you not have done it? You see, there's a spirit that's revealed in these petitions. And the spirit says, the spirit that's revealed is that they honor that this order is from God. And just because a piece is broken does not mean the house is going to be burned down by their arrogance. Amen. By their dishonor. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. There were times, even when amongst themselves, the apostles did not see eye to eye. What about when the apostle Peter, the man who had the keys to the kingdom, was he perfect? No, he wasn't perfect until he got the Holy Ghost, but then he was perfect. No, he wasn't perfect, you said? What was his, we know at least a couple of his mistakes. What was one of the mistakes that he made? Sins that he committed. Hmm? What happened there? Does anybody remember? He was a hypocrite. He showed partiality. He loved and fellowshiped with the Gentiles, but then when the Jews came down from Jerusalem, he wouldn't hang out with the Gentiles. The question was not whether he was perfect or not. The question was whether everyone was still submitting to God through submitting to God's order or not whether everyone was still believing that the Lord watched over his word to perform it, that the heart of the ruler was in the hand of God, that he who seeks to be a teacher desire, will be judged with a more severe judgment from God. Amen. So did the people reject the apostle Peter, the man with the keys to the kingdom? Did they? He made a mistake. He did. I know he did. It was wrong. He stumbled. In the book of Jude, we're told that the angels respect the order of God so much that they're not even willing to bring disrespect to Satan because of what he once occupied in the order of God. Is he still God's anointed? No, he's not. 
But if you lose your reverence for God's order, then there's nothing between you and oblivion, drifting out with no anchor of humility. That's why he keeps saying, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The Pharisees were rejected by God, were they not? And what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He rebuked them with the authority as the Son of God. Amen? He rebuked them. He dealt with them. But what did he tell the people about these, peop these Pharisees who devoured widows' houses, who were a brood of vipers? What did he tell the people? He said, obey them. And do as they tell you because they sit in the chair of Moses. And he knew that the people still needed that chair. They still needed that order in their life. They still needed to honor Saul because he was the Lord's anointed. Not because he was worthy, but because God was worthy. And they needed the reminder in their life that they were not perfect, but that God had provided an order where they could stay humble, and if humble, then receive grace, and if receive grace, then be changed into the image of God's Son. Do as they say, for they sit in the seat of Moses. The people who crucified the Lord of glory, he told those under them, do as they tell you, because they sit in the seat of Moses. You need to honor, even though they have failed God, you need to honor the order that this broken peace sits within. The same goes for your father and mother. Whoever curses father or mother, the Old Testament said, let him be put to death. And Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for setting this aside. You've got to have people in your life that you look at and you say, God has not given me the responsibility to hold them account, to account. He has given me the responsibility to honor him by honoring the order that they occupy, if nothing else, as merely a placeholder until someone else can come who is acceptable to God. So when Peter was a hypocrite, did the people rise up in revolution? Hmm. This man who had spoken words of judgment that had caused the death of Ananias and Sapphira, when he was hypocritical, did the people reject him? Was there a wisdom from below that said, I want to cast off restraints? I want to speak evil against dignitaries? Hmm. No, there wasn't. No. God provided that in his order, Paul was going to be coming through the area and the Lord was going to reveal it to his servant and it was going to be covered. Now, we don't know if the people came to Paul and explained things that Paul hadn't seen firsthand. We, that would have been fine. That's, that's an order. Amen. Paul did say, don't receive an accusation against the elder, an elder except in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So, that could have happened. Amen. Paul saw it firsthand. We know that. Amen. But nobody was rejected by God. The house wasn't burned down in a fit of, I knew they weren't perfect, tantrum. Amen. The house was preserved and the will of God was preserved and the people were preserved in their relationship with each other and with God. What about within the apostleship? What about when Peter, again, baptized Cornelius? Did the Lord tell him to do that? Yes. Was it just his opinion or was it confirmed by supernatural signs and miracles, visions, amen? So there's not really any debate as to whether God told him to do that, okay? Was it attested to by the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit? And what happened when he did that? The other 11 apostles sent him a letter of commendation. Dear Peter, we just want you to know we're so proud of you. 
Carry on the good work. People are coming to God and being filled with the Spirit. Yours truly, the apostles of the Lamb. Is that what happened? What happened? He got called on the carpet. Okay, they were against it at the beginning. So does that mean they were all rejected by God? Does that mean they couldn't be apostles anymore? Does that mean the church has failed? No, it means God is going to bring forth his word and Peter has done the right thing, but God has provided in those 11 apostles a covering that will not allow anything but the Holy Spirit to solve the matter. So when they come, there's vigorous debate, we're told. And they say this and they say that. And then the Holy Spirit speaks. And what happens then? They all quiet down and they glorify God. Well, what if Peter had just said, oh, they're so out of it. He gave me the keys to the kingdom. There's a reason, I tell you. Forget you. I'm starting my own church. It's going to be called the First Peter Denomination Incorporated. What if he had done that? The church would have stalled. The kingdom would have stalled. Did he not have to trust his brothers? Did he not have to say within himself, the Lord is building this house. He told me once upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Lord is building this house and I trust his plan. I trust his order. I trust my brothers. If the, if the Lord will speak through me, God, I know I gotta move in the spirit because my brothers are not gonna let any flesh glory in your presence, I know that. Amen? So I'm gonna have to come with something from God. I'm not just gonna be able to shoot off at the mouth because even if I'm right, quote unquote, and I don't bring it in the grace of the spirit, they're not gonna receive it. They're not supposed to receive it. They're there to keep back anything but the Lord's work and the Lord's doing, which is always marvelous in our eyes. So he comes and they vigorously debate it and the grace of God moves through him. They quiet down, they glorify God and the whole kingdom takes a huge step forward. Thank you, Jesus. They could have rejected him for doing it. He could have rejected them for challenging it. But you know, they wouldn't have been Christians if they had done that. That would have been the devil's kind of light shining through each other and revealing the problems that were there. Amen. What about Paul? After he had preached and established churches and established doctrine all over Asia, he went and subjected himself to James and Cephas, James and Peter, the very man he would later rebuke. He subjected himself to them and said, tell me if I've run in vain. Tell me if I'm off course. What kind of trust did he have? What if they had told him, you're off course? Well, that wouldn't have been a problem because he wasn't building his house. He was building the Lord's house. And he would have said, brothers, how can we correct course? How can we fix this? Because I've given my life not to build the monument of my own success, but I've given my life for the increase of his government and peace. Amen. That's what I was called to do. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. So is there quarrels? Where do they come from? Oh, they come from insights, do they? And what kind of wisdom provides you those insights? Is it the wisdom of love that builds the house? Well, then, in your correction, we will see the bricks come closer. We will see the beams fastened down stronger. We will see the relationships, the joints grow tighter and stronger every time. Amen. But if it's the other kind of wisdom, don't hide behind being right in this quote and that quote. Don't hide behind pointing out how the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done better. Just come right out and admit it. You've lost faith in the builder and maker who is God. You've lost faith and trust in your brothers.
Amen. Lord, don't let that happen to us. Amen. My life is in God's hands. Amen. We are not a perfect people. There's very few things. The only thing that we have that's perfect is Jesus. Amen. But he'll help us. He'll give grace to the humble. Amen. And that's all we need to keep going. There are mistakes. They're not all answered in our timing. They're not all solved our way. Amen. But if we trust God and we stay faithful and we keep the order of God and the greatest power on earth besides God, the very gates of hell will not prevail against this house. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Upon this rock that people can submit to what comes from God. Amen. Flesh and blood did not reveal it to you, but my Father. And upon this rock I'll build my church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you're building. Thank you, God, for your wisdom. The wisdom that builds the house. The wisdom that orders the house. That makes a house out of the bricks. That makes a body out of the crowd. Amen. Thank you, God that you've asked me to submit, to trust you, and that's really all submission is. It's trust. It's saying, I don't see everything, but there's a God who does. Thank you, God, that I can still humble myself under your mighty hand. Thank you, God, that I have brothers that I can bring, not the flesh, but the word of the Spirit, and they can quiet down and glorify God with me. Thank you, God, that we're still in your plan, that we're still hearing your voice. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name, God. Build your house, God. Glorify your name, God. Strengthen us.